This is James Frain, and you're listening to The Greatest Discovery. Captain! Captain! Welcome to the Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Maybe one of the final episodes of the Greatest Discovery. What do you mean? What? Because we're changing the name. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we sure are. You just looked really scared for a second. Well, I thought I was being fired. Oh, yeah. I thought you were pesheying me in Goodfellas. Like, you bring me into a meeting, and I'm like, oh, fool. <laughs> then you just shoot me in the back of the head. Yeah. I was really excited for you, because I know I can never be made. Yeah. Too bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> My mixed blood. <laughs> Are you going to be able to do the show intro without slipping up? That's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Are we keeping the same slogan? Of course. A new Star Trek? Yeah, that's the best part of the show, right? It's a great slogan. It's a hidden anus? It's the only thing that distinguishes it from our other hit Star Trek podcast. That's the only thing. It's the only thing that makes it search engine optimized also. <laughs> Because no one knows what the fuck that other show is or what it's about. Yeah. I literally told a friend of mine last night when I was guesting on a show yeah. about Greatest Discovery and what it was about and how to find it. And they were like, hey, man, I was looking for your show and I'm really confused about why I found this thing. And it only goes back a certain number of episodes. And I'm like, well, tell me what you found. And it was some other fucking show. Called The Greatest Discovery? It was a podcast about Discovery that this person had found. And I was like, that's not our show. Wow. Yeah. Man, weird. It totally crossed them up. So I think Greatest Trek is going to be good for us. Yeah. It'll put Trek right in the name. Where it belongs. Yeah. Get back in the name where you belong. <laughs> but that's not this episode. That's We've agreed that's when Lower Decks comes back is when- that yeah. launch happens, right? Which, as of this recording, we don't know. Stop asking us. We're just flying blind here. We know as much as you do. We're not flying blind as much as Wendy is up front flying the plane, and we're in the back. Mm-hmm. And we're calling up like, hey, Wendy, have you heard anything? And she keeps shouting back, no. <laughs> She's like, turbulence has never crashed an airplane. Don't worry about it. And we're like, why do you keep saying that? What? You seem so insistent about that one specific point, and you keep bringing it up. When are you ever going to bring back tequila? We keep asking. <laughs> you never have it. <laughs> Just really tiny margarita cans. Yeah, really tiny, pretty sweet margarita cans. Just cut those margs with some bubbly water. You are good to go. Yeah. Good to go like a king. Yeah, it's almost like a ranch water. Sure is. It's an odd taste, isn't it? It's probably watered down. Hey. Well, Adam, you know what we're dicking around about. We've got the last episode of season one of Strange New Worlds to talk about. That's precisely why I'm dicking around, Ben. I don't want it to end. <laughs> I don't want the season to end, and yet here we are. I feel like as soon as we finish this episode, it's going to be over. Yeah, it's pretty staggering. Like, I want to spray some numbing spray. 
mm-hmm. onto my mic so this one can last longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just surprised that they ended with an episode that was entirely about people staggering around in grief over the death of Hammer. Yeah. That's all anyone talked about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Who grieves for Hammer? Evidently, no one. Nobody. Nobody was sad that he was gone. It didn't come up. <laughs> I will continue to grieve Hammer in my own private way, mm. as will you, I'm sure. Mm. Yeah, I think I'll continue. But man, I do want to talk about this episode with you. This is a big swing and a big season finale. Should we get into it? Yeah. God, I can't prolong it any longer, Ben. I'm going to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Strange New World Season 1, Episode 10, Quality of Mercy. Ben, I watched the last time on this episode, mm. and I got to ask you point blank. Does it seem to you again and again and again that there is some dialogue and ADR in these packages that have never appeared on the show itself. Because oh. I swear to God, I'm hearing dialogue by Pike here that I've never heard on the show. Huh. What, did you write down the dialogue specifically or, you, or did you just walk away from that intro with a feeling? I wish I could give you exactly the quote. It's the very last thing the Pike says. Maybe that's the good in, in seeing my future. Stay the course, save their lives. I didn't uh, walk away from this last time on with that feeling. Because you always skip, don't you? No, I watched it this time. I, yeah. I did watch it. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing a bit of that. How easy is it to summarize like a bunch of things that happened in three other episodes in a little 30-second roll-in package, you yeah. know? Yeah. Maybe you write some dialogue ahead of time and just, you know, like you got all the sets standing. Let's just run some lines. Just get Mount in a chair and have him deliver the line. You ever do a video project like that? Like, the camera's off, lights are off. Just give me some more dialogue that I could uh, cut in here for the voiceover. <laughs> I used to do that a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Works. It works every time. You get the same room tone, mm. it cuts right in. This episode starts auspiciously on the edge of the neutral zone. The entrepreneur and the Cayuga are here at uh, and they're retrofitting outposts. This one's Outpost 4. Yeah. Got to get this thing retrofitted because uh, the neutral zone, you got to keep an eye on the neutral zone. When your outpost basically has like an oil derrick on it, I think it's in need (laughs) of an upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, interesting to have the Romulans come into play at the end of uh, season one. Right. They're back. They're back, baby. So is Captain Batal. Yeah. She wasn't just a one morning thing. She's back getting breakfast. (laughs) One of the main things she does with Pike. I'm always curious who the Chris of tomorrow is going to be. So they can have breakfast together, but sex doesn't necessarily have to be on the menu. Like she can just roll in for breakfast. Hmm. Seems that way. I kind of thought maybe that they had had sex because she said that they'd had spaghetti the night before, you know? Yeah. Have you ever heard of this name given to this dish? I make this all the time, but I've never heard it called pasta mama. I haven't either. That was new on me as well. Yeah. I've never not finished a bowl of spaghetti, so I've never had an opportunity to make it. Well, I think when you make the whole package of pasta and you're just two people, there have been times when we have leftovers, but I'm always putting it in a pan the next day and cooking it with cheese and sometimes an egg. It's great. It's a good dish. Yeah. So yeah, they're, uh, you know, talking a little bit. 
shooting the old breeze, mostly just establishing that Captain Battelle is afoot, you know? She's got a thing to go do on the other side of the neutral zone, but she's around. There's the suggestion of Asabuko later. Yeah. I mean, she's basically just in it for the eats, right? She's in it for the bone. Yeah. That's <laughs> what she's in for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there have been relationships built on a less sturdy foundation than great food. Yeah. It's what I love about her. I like how breezy things are with them, right? Feels good. Yeah. It seems like they are both getting out of it what they want. Later that day, Pike, number one, and Spock are meeting with Commander Hansen, who is the uh, dude that runs this particular outpost. And uh, he's pretty pissed off at how things have been for the last few years. We are on our own out here. Yeah. His post has been a bit of a shithole. And finally, Starfleet has sent some resources to get it in order. He's super hot under the collar about this, which you understand when you look at the fucking dump he lives and works in. Yeah. And also, like, the indignity of having to wear your comm badge sideways like that. I don't know, man. Like, the Pike's green uniform had the sideways comm badge at, like, belt height. This is yeah. just a very anti-Cal Hudson height to that configuration. <laughs> you can tell that's why this guy has no confidence. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad to see a once promising young commander reduced to working at Outpost 4 like this. I mean... Did you understand correctly? He'd been waiting years for this stuff? Yeah. Yikes. For years he's been complaining about this. That sucks. Yeah. Part of the retrofit is they're getting like their own autonomous mining ship, so they'll be able to like pull chunks of the asteroid off of it and convert them into stuff that they need. So the supply line issues, are those are a thing of the past. This is great news. He will no longer have to put his young son to work. <laughs> Yeah, his young son, Mott, runs in, really excited to meet Pike, but when Pike lays eyes on this kid and hears what his name is, he realized that he's one of the deads from the future. Yeah. In my mind, Mott's only of a future behind a barber's chair. Yeah. There's a time when you want to call a Romulan's bluff, and there's a time when you don't, wouldn't you say? This kid's outfit did put me in mind of Bolian's, I guess just because it was blue. It looked like Bolian suspenders, right? Yeah, and it had the zipper up the front, which, you know, that bifurcated Bolian face. Right, the bifurcation <laughs> goes all the way down. Yeah. Yes, I wasn't expecting that. It's kind of a crushing scene because the kid is like, yeah, Captain Pike, one of the coolest captains in the fleet. So excited to meet you. And Pike is like, uh, gotta go. <laughs> it's so interesting how there is no way to make it look like he doesn't hate this kid. Like, when you excuse yourself at this moment in time, there's no excuse that's... Like, he says he's not feeling well, and so he's got to leave. Yeah. But it's so close to Mott entering the room. Like, there's no way to explain it away. Yeah. He runs out into the hallway, and number one is close behind him, and she's like, hey, Chris, what's up? And he's like, well, you know me. I've never felt comfortable around children. <laughs> as soon as I saw that kid, I, I felt a little... I, I just <laughs> Pike tells Una that oh yeah of course you, you've got the whole thing pegged that kid's about to die in a horrible accident in the yeah. workplace she knows she knows what's up yeah. so she's like what are you gonna do and he's like I mean I have to do something right yeah yeah that something happens later yeah 
in Pike's quarters where he's looking up his colleague's kid on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Pike's poured himself a great big drink and he's flipping through pictures of a kid in his quarters that he doesn't know. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? And he begins writing a letter to this kid when uh, he pops a microwave pizza into the thing. (laughs) And then as soon as he hits start on the timer, the Red Baron Pike appears. (laughs) Like magic. Yeah. What did you think of TOS movie uniform in Strange New Worlds? The uniform is beautiful and i love it and i love it the new star trek spin on the red baron look yeah i really dig it the monster maroon as it's sometimes called it was really great looking yeah i also thought it was interesting i mean this is pike seven years in the future and it felt to me like anson mount was maybe throwing his voice a little bit lower in the register but they didn't try to like age him up or anything damn it you are handsome (laughs) I was just thinking the same. (laughs) I watched this episode last week, and then I watched it again yesterday. And I wonder to what extent they were tinkering with the screeners. And the reason I ask this is because the first time I watched this episode, Red Baron Pike looked like an EA Sports in-game character. Like, he looked digitized and uncanny valleyed in a way that was extremely off-putting whoa and then when i watched it again yesterday he looked much better yeah and so i'm wondering if they continued to work on the episode right up until like this episode hasn't come out yet yeah by the time of this recording i'm wondering if that's how late the work goes yeah because i had anticipated spending a long time talking with you about like well why wouldn't they practically do the loaf why are they making his face not move while his mouth does. Like things just didn't look like it was hanging together well, but he looked fine and plausible this screening. And I wonder if by the time the episode drops, he'll look totally plausible. I mean, he didn't look unplausible to me at all. I watched this yesterday and today. There's a shibboleth to establish, you know, you need to be able to establish your bona fides as a future version of yourself. If you're going to do that, though, maybe keep him away from your knives until <laughs> until you can do that, right? Until you can do multiple factor future me authentication. I don't think it's that big a risk, Adam. Nobody can uh, throw a knife on a starship without authorization. That's right. Yeah. I like how Pike is like, I've been on Star Trek before. I know we need to do a kind of formal check here (laughs) to which red baron pike is like yeah i know i figured your first pony was named sir nasalot the explanation comes in he's here from the future he came on behalf of the monks of borath i'm here because that letter you're about to write is going to wreck the future and he's got a time crystal with him and he's like i've got something you need to see because otherwise those borath guys are going to come chop you the fuck up I was amazed by this aspect to his story. Yeah. So you better just let me do this stuff with the crystal, because if this doesn't work, that definitely will. (laughs) Yeah. Things must turn out really bad for the Klingons, too. This is one of the few references to them in this episode, but 
what we realize about what happens in this timeline, should Pike successfully save the lives of these cadets and himself, is that shit goes so bad, so broadly for so many people, including the Klingons, yeah. that it's worth taking a crystal off of Boreth and doing this procedure together. I wonder how much consideration they're giving to what to do with and how to work with the Klingons Mm -hmm. on this show because there is a lot of weird Klingon canon Mm -hmm. around the different looks that they've gone with for different eras of movies and television shows and explaining away like there are genetic differences between Klingons in different eras. Yeah. And I wonder if they're going to go with like a version of the Klingons that honors TOS in some way, or if they are going to stick with loafed up Klingons for this show. They appear to have kicked that can down the road into the next season, which I think is wise. Yeah. Because uh, you don't want to do the the shoe polish on the white guy's face with the bad mustache, <laughs> right? I mean, I guess not. I guess you don't want to do that. The Klingons just come on the screen and they're like, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. I haven't done my work. We Klingons are not as luxury-minded as you workers. This is a show that has safely operated in its own space in such a way where you didn't really need to watch any other Star Trek to get it. Yeah. Especially not any other new Star Trek. So I was... A little surprised that they uh, referred to Boreth and the Discovery episode where Pike touched that stone. I wonder to what extent that serves as an invitation for people to go back to that and watch those episodes again. Yeah. Or for the first time, if you're just new. Lift the veil and madness may follow. I mean, if it's not that, it's what happens once Pike touches this stone because he puts his hand out and he is suddenly... At a lectern in a cargo bay, performing a wedding for a couple of officers. And uh, he's just kind of showed up in media wedding here. Uh huh. Doing a wedding the way you and I probably would, with plenty of time to rehearse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The actor here, uh, the bride, her last name is Sandu, which made me wonder if she was the sister of the actor who plays T'Pring. Do you know this? Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know how common the the last name is, but... I have a friend with that last name, uh, and I noticed that when T'Pring's credit came up, and I should ask him. I don't It might just be a very common name. Right. Who knows? Boy, Pike is really lost here at the podium, and he gets kind of saved by the red alert. All decks red alert. Saved by the banger. Yeah. Thank God. When Spock tells him that Outpost 4 is under attack, probably something that the head honcho of Outpost 4 is feeling grateful for, because that place was a dump. (laughs) Spock is uh, referred to as number one on the radio. Right. One of many signs that things are not quite as Pike would have expected his future to be. He calls himself that, though. I thought that was weird. Number one to Captain Pike. Yeah. Does Riker ever call himself number one? No way. No, I don't think anyone calls themselves that. Yeah. It's like giving yourself a nickname. Yeah. It seems weird. Hey, Spock, nobody's going to call you T-Bone. We don't think it's cool. It's not the only thing that's strange, Ben, because when Pike arrives at the bridge, does it feel very dreamlike in a lot of ways once he arrives? Because Spock 
treats him fairly coldly yeah. when he gets relieved and up out of the chair. And everyone's performance on the bridge feels a little wooden. Like the direction here for someone like uh, the actor who plays Ortegas and like the rest of the bridge crew people feels a little flat intentionally. Yeah. With the way things are lit, they're kind of spotlit. It feels dreamlike and strange. It's also interesting that like Mitchell and Ortegas are like on the opposite sides yeah. of the control console from where they normally would be. Right. Ahura's been made a lieutenant in the intervening years. The mood is is really tense and uh, Pike needs a minute. So he grabs Spock and goes into his ready room with him. And he's like, hey, so uh, I've jumped into the future, seven years into the future. I really love that Spock's the guy you tell when you're really tripping balls. Like, look, man, <laughs> I took like four gummies. Yeah. And I am kind of freaking out right now. Yeah. And Spock's like, if you took four gummies, maybe I should assume command. <laughs> you're a compromised mentally. I agree. Yeah. They have to do some authentication here too, right? Yeah. And Pike's like, cool, man, meld me if you don't believe me meld me baby and spock melds him and then he gets like a contact high and he's like fuck you took a lot of gummies what were the milligrams on those my word i need your help spock yeah just the idea that pike carries this around with him this preoccupation with the beeping chair and so forth it really kind of rocks spock yeah and they sort of discuss like what he's there to do, right? To the extent that this is a mission for this version of Pike. Right. Pike is like, this has got to be an important moment in time. And I am the variable in this strange place. And Spock is like, cool. I think the thing for you to do is to like, not rock the boat. Like, don't act all weird. Don't try to change what's happening here. I think the point is to figure out what you would do in this timeline naturally. Yeah. Play it the way you would play it. Red Baron Pike is expecting this to be worse somehow, so make it worse just by being <laughs> you. This is something I really felt seen by. <laughs> hey, the future is yours to fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> we know you're going to fuck it up. Let's just watch. This is end of the world stuff. Yeah. So they head back out onto the bridge and they get the audio of Commander Hansen reporting on this disaster that is in progress. The outpost does not go well, Enterprise. <laughs> We're a mile deep on an asteroid, almost solid iron. And even through our deflectors, it did this. Can you see? I think this was the moment when I realized that we were in the balance of terror. Right. Did you happen to like rewatch? Or... I did not rewatch, but I remembered. Yeah. Did we review it for an episode? We did. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I thought so. That was a great episode, a great TOS episode. Yeah. That I'm sure Wendy will pop in and tell the viewers the episode number and, and what it was called and maybe how to find it. Just got to scroll back to episode 83 of The Greatest Discovery. It's called The Skin of Kermit the Frog, and it's a really good re-listen. Commander Hansen giving a, a pretty grim update. And I feel like the pace of play here, the slowness and weirdness of this does borrow a lot from that TOS episode. Like, it feels like they're both racing to try and rescue the Starbase, but also not moving at all. Yeah. In this scene, and it, they'll cut to the exterior and the Enterprise will not be moving and they'll be like, we're still out of weapons range. And you're like, so move. <laughs> I think that's part of the dream-like quality to all of this. 
Yeah. It's frustrating in a useful way. Hanson finally gets on FaceTime and it's all Bernie over there. Yeah. On the Starbase. Once again, I am asking you to resupply <laughs> my outpost. It's Bernie until he shows the bird of prey launching its plasma weapon, and yeah. then it's bust at him. Yeah. And you know where that gets us. Nowhere good. <laughs> they watch this guy die on screen. Yeah. You get a death react. Yeah. And then the outpost it itself explodes. And then the whole asteroid that it's built on explodes. One of the things that I really appreciated it, about it was that the view screen going all flashy and white when it explodes, like they're all like shielding yeah. their eyes. And that's like a direct callback to the original episode. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So what are they going to do about this? This invisible ship that they saw momentarily pop up, fire, and then cloak again. Yeah. Spock's working on it. Yeah. He promises. Ortegas is sure that this is the Romulans. Ortegas very worked up, ready for the fray. Sir, we have to find a way to engage them. Yeah, she's into it. Almost as into it as the captain of the Farragut. Yeah. Which pulls up right next to the Enterprise. Enterprise, this is Captain James T. Kirk of the USS Farragut, offering assistance. It's one of those ships that's hanging its nacelles low instead of slinging them high. Yeah. Not the ship you want to see James T. Kirk at the helm of. It's a look. It's a look, and we finally see him. Yeah. James Kirk. He was announced for season two of this show, right? He was. This was a surprise that he was in this episode. He gets on screen, and he's like, Captain, I heard what happened to your chief engineer, a tragedy that it's impossible to overstate. And Pike is like, yeah, right, seven years ago, right? And he's like, yeah. But still, the loss of Hemmer lingers with Starfleet to this day. The more you hear this Kirk talk, the more you see him move around. What did you think of this Paul Wesley as James Kirk? I like that he's not doing Shatner. Me too. But there is a little bit of Shatner in him. It, like There is a quality about him that is Shatner-like. I think it just has to do a lot with the posture, like the posture in the chair. Yeah. There's something very like, he looks like a person from the 60s. Yeah. A bit. It might just be his hair, but I don't know, like that jawline and that hair and that posture do feel like period authentic. Yeah. Yeah. It seems right. It's not a caricature in a good way. Yeah. In a way, I think every other casting choice on the show has been, it's been really consistently like that. Yeah. Except for Scotty, I guess. <laughs> So Spock shares the intelligence with them about this ship, and it begins with the idea that, you know, they might be able to detect this cloaked ship, but the thing about it is that it needs to drop the cloak to fire. And while it is cloaked in its current state, it's really kind of weak yeah. and blind at the same time. I rewatched Balance of Terror and like almost all of this intelligent stuff that is coming out of Spock's mouth in this episode is actually... Line for line stuff that Kirk says in the original. Interesting. The device may work both ways. Their invisibility screen may work both ways. And I thought that was very interesting that the thinking through this stuff is something that is not given to Pike in the same way that it is given to Kirk. Especially for an episode that is so emphatic about a direct like one for one trade right. of people and circumstance. Pike calls... Sam Kirk up to his office and he's like, hey, so 
<laughs> What's the deal with your brother? Should my sister be dating him? <laughs> he does like to bend the rules sometimes. And the idea is like the Farragut and the entrepreneur are going to be following this signature, this sensor signature that they think is the Romulan vessel for a while while they wait for instructions from command because they don't want to like be the ones that instigate a war any more than each other. And while the Romulans seem to have taken out a bunch of outposts, they're not sure a Starfleet command would consider that a pretext for a return fire or not. Do you think the new Star Trek workout shirt for the Farragut just says gut <laughs> on it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Do you think uh, the one for the entrepreneur says trip? You work in your trips? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> should, we, should we make that shirt? <laughs> I think gut would sell more. Oh, all right. So he's using this time to like kind of get a sense of who Kirk is because they don't know each other. Mm -hmm. And Sam Kirk helps to explain the Jim Kirk ethos to mm -hmm. Pike, which is like he's not bending the rules some of the time. He's bending the rules all of the time, but he's a good captain. And he's not an itchy trigger finger guy. He's not going to start a war because he is Ortegasing here. And it's really important for Pike to get this kind of background on Kirk because this is very much a Cuban Missile Crisis kind of standoff. Yeah. And Pike wants to know if Kirk is more like Kennedy or McNamara. Right. Spock calls Pike to the bridge, and that's because there's a comet incoming. This could be a useful comet because uh, behind it is that ashy tail part of it. <laughs> That part of it's especially useful. It's revealing a signal that's being sent from the cloaked ship. Yeah. I believe I can lock on it. Get a picture of their bridge. Put it on the screen. So we get those visuals. Did you expect James Frain to be the <laughs> actor portraying the captain of the Romulan ship? No. I mean, it was Mark Leonard in the original playing the Romulan commander. That would have been a very interesting flourish. What is James Frain doing right now? Get James Frayne. <laughs> you got to get him to pick up the phone. Frayne will pick up the phone. Give me a break. Oh, boy. This is a scandal. Yeah. This is that same scandal all over again. Can you believe Roms look like Volks? The music cue here is from Star Trek Picard, which I thought contextually was used for the Borgs on that show. Hmm. But played here, it is very much like the new Star Trek theme for something crazy happening. <laughs> Bad guys with green color yeah, details. I think so. Yeah. A lot of heads turn a very, very crazy like camera push in on Spock's face like from all the way across the bridge into commercial. He gets some nice verticality on the eyebrow raise there. You really do. Some good torque on it. Later on, Kirk beams aboard and hugs Sam hello. That's nice. Yeah. Just a couple of brothers with successful careers. They're pains in the ass, but they love each other. Yeah, like Bo and Luke Duke. Quite <laughs> the ship you got here. He's jealous. <laughs> they have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Ortegas is pretty salty with Spock over his resemblance to the Roms. I'd like to hear what Mr. Spock has to say for himself. You're the expert in these people. And they talk about like, hey, maybe the Romulans like let their little signal leak out to like sow division between us so that yeah. people like Ortegas would get all bigoty and flip out on our Vulcan shipmates. Seems plausible, right? 
they could resort to this kind of thing. Yeah. Spock is like, uh, <laughs> I don't even know who these people are, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the original episode uses a, a character getting weird about it to like have Kirk condemn bigotry mm-hmm. in no uncertain terms, and nobody does that in this episode. No. I mean, there's war condom- condemnation. Condens- Ankylosaur. There's war condemning. Yeah. Condemnation. I wondered about that because, like, I feel like if you'd had Pike say something like, your bigotry stays in your quarters right. and is not welcome in the ready room, people would have been like, I hate how woke Star Trek has gotten. Yeah. But it would have been like a quote from the original. That's true. But, like, I wonder if they're starting to, like, try and get sensitive and trying to, like, steer the show away from like outwardly stating values like that. I mean, you know, I've always written for being a little more subtle about such things. So I am here for that. Well, I'm here for the original way. I'm a real Star Trek fan and you're not. Yeah. Do I make myself clear? Keep that shit over on Reddit, Ben. (laughs) So there's multiple problems on the table in the scene, right? Yeah. If they attack the Romulans, it, it's an act of war, but also like there's a case to be made for they shot first. Or if they're so good at shooting this ship, they could stop the war because they stopped the ship from making it home. Right. And if they splatter this thing into space without everyone knowing. Is there a problem here? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the ship just exploded in front of us. It's weird. Hey, uh, Romulans, um, just a little message for you on subspace. A few of our outposts got messed up, and then we found a cloud of debris. Yeah. Uh, No idea how that got there. Must have been some weird workplace accident. Yeah. Aboard the Romulan ship. How's uh, Romulan OSHA doing (laughs) with uh, its PSAs? Yeah. Are those getting out to the ships that patrol the frontier? So there's a lot of possible choices to make but like the one thing that they can agree on is like no one wants war no it's how do they get to no war yeah given the variety of choices they could make here like, i don't want to become war yeah it's already been discussed that we could be treated as expendable and if if i'm expendable i don't want to have to become war just to be useful are we just out here taking pictures or what <laughs> Spock makes a kind of interesting argument that Ortegas agrees with, which is if these are relatives of the Vulcans, we should be very afraid of them because if they have not chosen the way of logic and instead have chosen some kind of vicious worldview, they're fucking dangerous. This is really like a, I know you're enthusiastic about meeting my family, but we actually don't do the holidays with that part of my family. <laughs> and I can't emphasize enough how we don't want to do that. Yeah. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for Below the Belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. 
Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What? 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 Sounds like nonsense. What is going on? Kurt comes up with this idea that this comet's tail that they're all headed toward that let them get the visual on the inside of the bridge is just a bunch of dust and a cloaked ship is going to have to push that dust aside to get through. So if they could kind of get out ahead of the Romulan ship, they'll get the drop on them and uh, that'll enable them to, uh, you know, get the advantage and maybe talk some sense into this war of bird. It's sensitive, right? Because they don't want to even reveal that the two ships can see the cloaked ship. So they're like, so what we'll do is just sort of get real wide with our ships, like not suggest in any way or form that we know where this thing is. We're just going to be coincidentally 
driving in parallel with this thing mm-hmm. until the comet tail reveals them. And if any part of you should fill that air, uh, it's your own fault. Uh, 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 and then by not blowing them up when the ship is revealed in the comet dusk, it'll make us look great and not warlike. Yeah, we're going to disable them and then we'll talk to them. Right. Disable and then talk. Yeah. They're putting this plan into action and we get a Pike's log and Pike is reflecting on like, is Kirk the reason I was sent into the future? Is he the special boy that was supposed to be doing this and I'm here fucking his shit up? Where are all of my lady crew people going? Like, it seems like a lot of them are calling off of their shifts for personal time. As soon as he beamed over, people were slipping out of their seats left and right. (laughs) Hello, handsome. I mean, I got a ship to run here. (laughs) It's a good thing we opted for the leather. Much easier to clean. I really love the lighting effect that this comet dust does for the interiors of these bridges, right? It's sort of a disco ball lighting effect in there. Yeah. Really liked how it looked. Very fun. Yeah, getting out to the other side of the comet tail, expecting to get this Romulan ship on sensors. And then as they're realizing that it's too late and their moment has passed. The Romulans decloak right behind the Farragut and start licking shots. And Kirk is able to land a couple of punches, but ultimately the Farragut gets blasted real, real bad. Yeah, the front part of its hat gets blown off. Yeah. Looks pretty ugly. It's not good. I mean, inside the crippled ship, Kirk is like, cover me, bro. <laughs> yeah. And Pike is like, I, I can't. can't. Again, the entrepreneur is too far for weapons lock. And it's like, what? How close do they have to fucking be? Yeah. Yeah. What they end up doing is like MacGruber blindly shooting his Uzi from behind cover. (laughs) Yeah. They take one of these plasma balls, which hurts, but not super duper bad. Yeah. And they land a punch of their own on the enemy vessel. And then it's like, you know, we're running away from each other and it's a rescue operation for the entrepreneur saving the lives of the remaining living people on the Farragut, one of whom is La'an. Did you recognize the sound design for the plasma weapon as being like what fire sounds like in the movie Backdraft? It's a living thing, Brian. It breathes, it eats. It's got like some cougar growl to it, for sure. It really does. Or yeah, yeah. it sounds like the cologne in Anchorman. <laughs> it's illegal in nine countries. <laughs> That's another way to put it. <laughs> yeah. When La'an comes aboard, he's like, hey, what's up, Lieutenant? And she's like, Commander, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, peep the gold. And he's like, heard from Una? And she's like, no, she's super locked up. Still. Yeah. Maybe a thing Pike could have gotten from Spock. (laughs) Yeah. It would have been great if Spock were in the transporter room with them for Pike to give that withering look to. Put the (laughs) index finger in his collar like, yee. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this isn't the only awkward social moment that Pike has because when Kirk beams aboard, he takes great umbrage with Pike flinching. Yeah. And Kirk is like, well, we need to talk, man. And they march out of there. And there's just a quiet moment where La'an turns to Chief Kyle and she's like, you're still the transporter chief? It's been seven years. What are you doing, man? You know what? Maybe it really matters how you treat people. 
if you have ambitions, <laughs> this is why you're still stuck here. You're such an ass. <laughs> no one likes you, Chief Kyle. <laughs> Piece of shit. Maybe if you were nicer to people, you'd advance. In Pike's quarters, they come to a pretty intense head talking about how this went down. And Kirk basically is making the argument that because Pike was pulling his punch, trying to disable and not destroy, they got themselves into a much worse situation. And Kirk is a real advocate for throw the hardest punch you can first and figure out the situation later. And if you can, maybe throw that punch with both of your hands clasped together. <laughs> That's how you really, yeah. really turn into it. Yeah. Pike's retort is so fucking powerful because he's like, hey, what happened to your ship, bro? <laughs> I couldn't help but notice you on my ship still fully intact, still looking like its saucer section yeah. is one complete circle. Fair. I'm just saying. Back on the bridge, Spock tells the group that uh, the cloaked ship is leaving behind a trail of debris. Yeah. After being damaged, this is something we're just now finding out about. I mean, in the original, they're like dumping that old man's body out to like yeah. convince the Enterprise that they've been destroyed, you know? See, that's the TOS tie-in I was looking for. Yeah. Spock tells everyone on the bridge that uh, they're just dumping bodies. Yeah. They're putting birdies out of their tubes. At this point, I was really wondering, like, are we going to get any of that the enemy below energy mm -hmm. in this episode? Because that's one of the fun things about that episode is how much time you spend on the Romulan ship. Yeah. Like the Romulans speculating, like, what is motivating the humans to act the way they do? Yeah. Yeah. And we spend it a long time not really meeting the opposition. Until this bridge scene where Pike goes out and plays a hunch. He tries hailing the Romulan ship and proposing a ceasefire. This is the risky bet that he is doing to uh, to show Kirk that he's really capable of anything, man. There's something really unintentionally funny about Pike telling Kirk, like, stand aside and watch this. <laughs> and when he walks to the front of the bridge to face the view screen, the height of that area is raised. Yeah. And so everyone sitting down is just looking squarely at his ass. <laughs> they don't see his face when he talks to this guy. Yeah. So when he makes his proposition, it's just a butt. Yeah. Just when I think I'm out, those cheeks pull me right back in. The Romulan ship responds to the FaceTime and Pike talks to the Romulan commander about like, hey, this isn't our war. Like, this is our grandfather's war. We didn't fucking start this shit. Let's not keep fighting it on some bullshit. Good faith, let's just like pause, ceasefire for two hours, we'll fix up our ships, we'll see if after two hours we're in a mood to talk instead of shoot at each other. Yeah, what do you say? Does that sound good? I mean, this drama commander is like, from where I'm standing, you sound like a little bitch, <laughs> but I'm going to give it a try. <laughs> so it's two hours apiece that's on the table, and Ortegas takes great umbrage with this. <laughs> the take of Pike responding to Ortegas here, I thought was so interesting to me. Yeah. Because when he tells her to stand down, he does it in such a way that is not a professional talking to a subordinate. It really sounds, it sounds like the way I talk to my puppy. You can't let them get away with stand it. Stand down. It read as very dehumanizing in a fucked up way. Yeah. Like a 10 out of 10 stand down. Ortegas is not 
handling her shit, so. But also, she's got a pipe down. Yeah. Like, this is now the fifth time she's just sort of chimed in. Yeah. This is delicate work here. I mean, she's definitely, like, written to be the voice that that character in the original episode has. These are Romulans. You run away from them and you guarantee war. And there's a sub-commander on the Romulan ship that's really Ortegasing around as well. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't like the deal that his commander made and his commander is like, focus everything on getting the engines back up and running. And he's like, the engines? Are you fucking nuts? Yeah. The weapons, sir. I love this sidebar that he has. He's like, over here. Yeah. And this commander talks to, the, to a sub-commander and he's like, look, man, I knew your dad. And I got to tell you, your dad was a stupid idiot for dying the way he did. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you that right now, that the fucking stupid apple doesn't fall from the stupid tree very far. <laughs> so again, it's engines and then weapons. You son of a stupid idiot. His death was a waste. And it was stupid. It really looks like it hurts. Yeah. Because the sub thought his dad was a hero. Yeah. And the commander's like, your dad isn't a hero. Actually, fuck your dad. So back on The Entrepreneur, Spock and Kirk are having a moment, just recapping the day's events. Feels like it's after hours at this point. Time for your like third or fourth coffee of the day, though, because, I mean, it's not like they're clocking out. No. This is going to be an all-nighter. Pike is like, you really left my whole ass hanging out there about the Una thing. <laughs> yeah. Could have told me beforehand. Felt like I was outside of a restaurant in <laughs> New Orleans on that one, man. Yeah. Spock was like, eee, sorry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she was obviously sent to prison for her Illyrian-ness, right? Yeah. I mean, I know why the episode doesn't hang a bigger lantern on this, but like the it was seven years ago thing felt like it was worth remarking on since we know that he's jumped forward seven years. Agreed. Yeah. When Kirk enters, Spock leaves. They kind of tag each other out. Yeah. And it's here where Kirk proposes a backup plan for Pike's diplomatic solution. Always good to have a plan B. Captain Pike, can I borrow a shuttle? That's uh, something that Pike is perfectly happy to grant him. And we just see him warping away in his shuttlecraft. I really like the idea of this being a literal backup plan. Yeah. That's fun. He's going to get backup. Yeah. So Spock is in the cool, slanty Jeffrey's tube working on the phasers. So cool. We got a Scotty impressionist working with him on the phaser rebuild, handing him tools from down below. That's fun. I couldn't quite see if that hand had all five fingers on it when uh, he handed him the hydro spanner or whatever. Aye, that's the one. Yeah, man. I mean, this is now a seven-year mission. The, a yeah. bunch of new people are on board that we haven't met yet. Yeah. I mean, you got to replace Hammer somehow. Yeah. Couldn't help but think about Hammer here. Yeah. It sucks. Hey, what's up with engineers and fucked up hands? <laughs> <laughs> that was a very uh, Starfeld question. Yeah. What's the deal? <laughs> Did you like the Scotty voice cameo? Yeah. I'm a little disappointed that one of us didn't get asked to do it, you know? Yeah. You more than me. Your impression work lately has been uh, really solid, man. Oh, buddy. I'm I'm no good at the Scottish, but if I'd gotten tapped on the shoulder by Big Rod to do this mm -hmm. off screen, I feel like I would have really like worked at it, you know? 
So two hours isn't enough time for these repairs to be done. The yeah. clock ticks down to zero. Everybody's got their engines back, but the weps are... I mean, you got to have weps, right? That's the key, and they don't have them. Pike hails the rom-com, which is what I'm calling the Romulan commander. <laughs> which makes it seem fun, right? Like, will they or won't they? <laughs> hey, we've had our meat cute, but uh, now that the two hours are over, let me talk to you about our kind of strength. Yeah. It's the kind of strength where we see a potential ally in a new person instead of an adversary. What about that kind of strength? It's like a challenge. It's like a Sheryl Crow style, are you strong enough to be my human challenge being laid here by Pike. Do Romulans have that kind of strength? And the rom-com actually kind of responsive to this until every Romulan ship in the fleet shows up behind him. Oh, no. Yeah. The sub-commander with the dumb dad called them all in. Yeah. The Federation showed weakness. It is the Romulan way to strike. Yikes. What have you done, subcom? Is a subcom a, uh, <laughs> a comedy about people that get dominated yes. when, they're, when they're having sex? That's it exactly. <laughs> you think this is funny? Uh, yeah. Some real Battle of the Binary Stars looking shit here going on. And we get uh, the praetor of Romulus. It is customary to kneel. She's come here personally on the flagship to yell at Pike. And despite the fact that she's the leader of the entire Romulan Star Empire, the lighting on her ship is dog shit. Yeah, it's not good. She's great, though. She's got a really fun fuck around and find out kind of energy. She does. Yeah. Surrender or we will destroy you. She's really threatening the hell out of them. This is when Kirk shows up with his fleet. And uh, this is just the fleet of robotic mining ships that they were delivering at the beginning of the episode to all the outposts. And he's like, yeah, I figured like they don't know what our ships look like. We don't know what their ships look like. Maybe they'll believe that this is a war fleet. Yeah. An armada, if you will. Yeah. They don't know what our junk looks like. Yeah. They're showing us theirs. We're not showing them ours. Yeah. You sneaky son of a bitch. It's enough to bluff with. They think we are, but we're not. I am not taking off my boxers. Yeah. No way. Turn off the lights. Hello, darkness, my old friend. The original Romulan ship kind of inches forward, and they get him back on FaceTime. And he's like, hey, man, you really seem cool. I think we could have been... Friends, you know, if we weren't separated by light years and time and space and all that stuff. You and I are of a kind. You know, game recognized game, though, man. Like, shout out to a real one. All right. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> and the entire Romulan fleet lights up his ship. Destroyed. It. I did notice that the sub commander did not seem to be present on the bridge. So he died in a brig. Maybe the dumb gene was preserved that day. Do you think... To get inside a Romulan brig, the door is actually around the back. <laughs> yeah. That's the real entrance. Yeah. I mean, that's every entrance to every room on the ship, right? Always a game of chess with them. <laughs> Another bunch of people die right on screen. Yeah. In front of Pike. It sucks. Yeah. It's really been bad for him lately. This guy seemed pretty cool. It's too bad. I'm going to miss him. The Praetor gets back on the screen and she's like, cool, so now that we've uh, completed my game show of The Weakest Link and said goodbye to them, uh, we can start this war. What do you say? Yeah, it turns hot 
immediately. Yeah. All of these ships have this plasma weapon. They're they're licking shots. They're firing. They're like these robot ships are getting blown up. I guess none of these robot ships have exocomp technology. Yeah. None of them want to live. No. I thought it would have made sense for them to just like kamikaze all those ships. At, like what would the Romulan ships be able to do if they just got rammed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that idea. That seems like a perfectly viable option here. You yeah. would have taken their entire fleet out in one fell swoop. I mean, it's plausible that that could have happened yeah. at some point, but the end of the scene that we get is Kirk being willing to sacrifice the drones and maybe himself to cover the entrepreneur's escape. Yeah. And like the plasma weapon hits the Enterprise before it warps away. But it finally does before the second one hits. That second one would have totally killed them. For sure. On their way to warp out, they get the message that it's war. Yeah. It's a declaration of war, sir. It's war! Against the Federation. Comes up in war font all over every screen on the bridge. Yeah. They're going to war. And as the damage assessments come in, he finds out one of the sections that got hit in that first plasma fire was WEPS. Yeah. Pike realizes uh, that was probably not a great deal for Spock. And so he heads down to Six Bay and it is a fucking bloodbath in there. I mean, but how can you tell with those red beds? Yeah. And red like emergency blankets on top of the red beds to boot. He can tell Spock's in really bad shape because he's in a green bed. (laughs) And you can tell that things have gone to shit when we're using the Smashing Pumpkins video camera angle. Yeah, the snorry cam, they... uh fastened it to pike and had him walk around yeah we uh didn't get to see scotty's face in the previous scene with him but he is in this scene at spock's bedside weeping and he says he stayed at his post when all the others left it's actually quite fortunate that he was in the jeffries tube at the angle (laughs) because he didn't fall directly down he just sort of tumbled down the ladder I can't believe that this is all Nurse Chapel got to do in this episode. Yeah, I really missed her a lot. But boy, you get tremendous value for the chapel here. Truly. Because this scene really hits. Spock is so fucked up that Chapel does not have the ability to put him back together again. Yeah. She's like, like if he survives, and it's an if, Yeah, he's not ever going to be the same. And uh, Pike is like, is that a new uniform? She's like, yeah, I got a new uniform for this episode. Can you believe that? Yeah. Back in Pike's quarters, you're going to need a fucking double (laughs) to drink away this day. And Red Baron Pike is there. Yeah. Ready to talk it out. He's like, hey, tough day sport. But um, that's not the worst part. The worst part is the Romulo Federation War that still goes on in my time. Causality is complex. You tried your best. And I think we're all certain that if Kirk were the captain of the Enterprise, he would have chosen differently. And those decisions would have created uh, the timeline that we enjoy on television for a couple of seasons. Yeah. Well, and uh, critically, it's not even Kirk and this series of events that matters the most it's that if pike writes that letter this is one of the many different ways that spock dies brutally yeah because of it and in every timeline where pike writes the letter to avoid the reactor meltdown accident it ends badly for spock 
It's Spock's multiverse of death. That doesn't seem fair. It's wild. Yeah. And so Pike creates this giant spaceship with like a crystal mm-hmm. and a time weapon. And he just goes rampaging throughout the galaxy, like erasing entire species from history, trying to get Spock back. Prepare to initiate a temporal incursion. His hairline gets further and further back. His forehead grows taller and taller and taller and taller. All he has is a triangle with a lock of Spock's hair in it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty powerful moment. I think it's interesting that... Like, there are a couple of instances where I was thinking, what is the moment going to be that inspires Pike to accept his fate and his sacrifice? And it wasn't war. And it wasn't blowing this diplomatic errand with the Romulans. It was Spock's death. And it's inevitability. That's what finally pushes him over the top into accepting his fate. Now, if I'm Pike at this point, I'm like, okay, get me back to my own timeline. I hate it here. I want to go. I want to just go back and be sad and drink my brown drink of having started a war in an alternative timeline by myself. Right. But instead, he spends a little extra time and gets to know Kirk a little bit. This seems to be something that Red Bear and Pike encourages. Like, he wants this to happen. Yeah. The crystal can wait. That crystal... Touch it whenever you want, man. It's going to be here. It's going to be on your desk. It would have been great if Pike is like, I mean, what's the harm? I'm just going to ride this out a little while longer. (laughs) Yeah. If I'm not going to save the game, I can really do some fucked up shit and then touch the crystal after that. (laughs) He gets to know Kirk a little bit. We hear, you know, the sound fade out as Kirk starts to describe his dad being the First officer on the Kelvin. Yeah. And then it's a elliptical edit to Pike going and getting the time crystal and touching it back into reality where he is back holding the iPad with the letter and uh, he deletes it and heads out. And he's, uh, he's in his office later looking at the record of James T. Kirk on his big TV screen. Spock walks in. I really love this scene. I think this might be my favorite scene of the episode. It's because Pike is able to confide in Spock in the very same way that he did when he entered the alternate timeline. Spock is a great time travel Sherpa. And he's like, look, I think I figured the whole thing out with respect to my fate. And I think I've finally been made to accept it. And the reason is you and... I think it's so much more powerful to hear the words, you are very important to me, than even I love you or any variation of that. I was so touched by the delivery of that line and the way that Spock does not even allow even a moment of air in between that and his reciprocation of it. Yeah. I thought that was really great. I really loved how this scene came together. Yeah, it was a nice moment. And it's specific choices like that about how much air in between those two comments are given and and how that line is delivered. I think it was really great. You are very important to me, as are you to me, Captain. You look weird with legs, Spock. (laughs) I was about to bury you in a fucking bag in the other timeline. (laughs) You should have heard the Pike eulogy for Spock. (laughs) Better believe we didn't play bagpipes at your funeral in that timeline. Did you know the feelings Chapel had for you? 
<laughs> because boy, oh boy, like she was really crying at your funeral. And then uh, Ortegas kind of put her arm around her and they went off together. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Back on the bridge, we get a very old timey sounding song. This is a song that I found on the YouTube, Ben. Did you look this up? No. It's a song called Making Memories, and it's performed by Melissa Carper, featuring Brennan Lee and Jeff Taylor. And I was like, surely this is an original old song. But no, it's a new song. Really? Yeah. The version used on this episode isn't an old song. It's a new performance of it. And you can find it on YouTube and watch it. Wow. It's just made to sound oldie timey. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's the soundtrack for Pike walking around the bridge, giving people the twinkle eye. Yeah. Making memories. The look that you give people to let them know that you appreciate them. And that you've accepted your awful fate about ending up in a beeping chair. (laughs) That twinkle. Yeah. Well, that twinkle's not going to last super long, Adam, because... uh, Ahura's got some news. Captain Patel's beaming on board. They want you and Commander Chin Riley to meet her in the transport room. That doesn't seem unusual. Yeah. As it is. What is this going to be? Kind of a three-way thing or? Hey, you know what? I didn't make enough Asabuko for everyone. So <laughs> just give me a little more time for prep. Yeah. Give me a heads up next time anyways. Patel is not here to eat Asabuko, etc. <laughs> she is here to take... Commander Chin Riley into custody at the orders of Starfleet Command. And she is very clear with Captain Pike that she was not exactly excited to get this order. Yeah. This is a Freeman-style cliffhanger here. It's, yeah, it's like the same ending of this season, <laughs> season two of Lower Decks, isn't it? What? What, could, what are you talking about? Hey, let, let her go. This is madness. Captain, what are your orders? Stand down. I like Pike trying to finger blast one of the security guys. Like, he tries to rip apart that guy's hand. He does. Captain. Ouch. Don't. It doesn't last long. He announces this ain't over. And that's our episode, Adam. They beam out of there. Captain Patel is super regretful about this. It's only business. This doesn't disinvite me from mealtime, right? (laughs) (laughs) Gotta believe she's really bummed out about the loss of future meals. Yeah, would hope that uh, she can get his spaghetti sometime in the future. There's a way to get back to spaghetti status with Pike. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? It's hard to uncouple how I feel about the episode with how I feel about the season ending. Yeah. You know, because I'm sad for it to be ending and I'm going to miss the show when it's gone until it comes back. And this was a, it feels to me like it was a pretty solid episode of this series. Yeah. But it did not feel any more important than any other episode in the series in an interesting way, right? I mean, I guess the stakes were higher because we're talking about billions dead in a Romulan war. Right. I get that. Uh And it's unique because it's Pike versus... Red Baron Pike. And the second lead actor being arrested at the end of it. (laughs) I mean, I guess when you write the list, (laughs) when you add all those things up, I think it does create a uh, greater sense of importance on the thing. I don't know. I feel strange about meeting Kirk, but not really meeting him. Yeah. And as much as I have really enjoyed 
all of the pike that we've gotten this season, the pike on pike aspect to it felt strange to me. I guess here's what I'll say. There was something so creepy and haunting and large marge feeling about how things felt in this alternate universe that it made me feel like we weren't really in danger. It always felt like a simulation in a way, yeah. and a simulation in a way that makes you feel safe. Even though the danger was ever present, I think the episode was broken for that reason. Like Because he can come back at any time, because we're just going to play this out to see how he fucked up, I didn't feel the stakes right. because there were no stakes. Yeah. I love the performances. I love the effects. Like, I love the episode, but like that core quality to it that like the stakes were fraudulent. I'm having a hard time getting my mind and my heart around it. What about you? I feel pretty similarly. I think this is maybe my least favorite episode of season one. Whoa. I thought it was such a great season. And I'm not saying that I like feel like this betrays it in any way. I mean, every season has good episodes and less good episodes. But I think that the adherence to the like beat for beat storyline of the TOS episode that they based it on sort of handcuffed them in terms of pacing and plot beats in a way that kind of lays bare how constrained they were in the original series. You know, you couldn't cut to the exterior that much. You couldn't show a big explosion in space that much. So when you're using plot beats from an original series script and then cutting to a totally amazing 2022 cinema level explosion in space scene, there's like so much friction between, you know, the interiors and the exteriors that it's hard to deal with. And like, I agree, like the production of this is amazing. The performances are amazing. Like all of that lighting stuff that we were talking about is so cool. It's so cool to see them really use the sets and the story and the world for all it's worth. But I also didn't feel like I was super bought into the like threat of the Romulans. It felt like it kind of cheapened the threat of the Romulans in a way. One of the things that Q really does well in his alternate timeline episodes is like, all right, well, you've seen the most awful shit ever. Peace, I'm out. You're stuck here. (laughs) Yeah. And that ever presence of that kind of threat, like when we see Spock dying in that bio bed, I want to feel the entire weight of how awful that moment is. But knowing we're just living in the cheat code of the crystal deprives me of that feeling in a way that I missed, really. I would say that like the two biggest emotional gut punches of this episode are the feeling of betrayal Mm -hmm. by Battelle and the feeling of loss of Una at the end. And it's not the story of the episode. It is tacked on to the end of the episode. It doesn't have anything to do with anything that happens in this episode. Do you think this was the first episode that they broke? And then they filled in the other ones backwards. Like, do you think that they were skating towards this puck the whole time? It's so hard for me to guess. The reason I ask that is because this is a show that like built momentum, like confidence momentum throughout the entire season. And I think realized as they were flying the plane, what a sleek and awesome jet they were in. Yeah. And then by the very end of the season, it didn't feel like the same show in that same confident way because it was handcuffed to that original series episode. Yeah, 
I mean, it definitely felt like they were writing toward many of these plot beats at the very minimum. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of a disappointing end to the season, but a season that I thought was really fantastic overall. Me too. And, uh, I really cannot wait for season two. I'm so glad that it's uh, already largely in the can from what we understand. Yeah. I like knowing that a lot. Yeah. The certainty of more strange new world is a good feeling. It really is. In a time when... <laughs> Good feelings and things to be optimistic about are few and far between. Right. At least we have strange new worlds. Indeed. Do you want to uh, see if we have any jumbotrons to be optimistic about, though? I think that's something I can feel good about. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, our first priority one message is from he who is between Cascadia and Hibernia. And that is to Quinn, Dan, and my Chadich. Goes like this. Hello, I wanted to support you while I can and say hi to my friends. Also, a couple of us had a great time watching in the Star Trek Chronology Project order. So I should shout them out too. Maybe when we do it again, we can do it with Ben and Adam to help maximize the shame. I would be much obliged to hear Adam's Ben Talks About Africa song. Thanks. It doesn't take a lot to get me to. There's nothing Ben would love more than to tell you Ben's gonna talk about Africa It's gonna take some time to tell you things you never asked Man, he was between Cascadia and Hibernia Really just took the wood to me right at the end of that P1 Ouch I just wandered over to the Star Trek Chronology Project, and this is a project that's about watching all the episodes of Star Trek in chronological order, as you might assume, instead of show order. I've always wanted to try that. Yeah. Before we started The Greatest Generation, I was thinking about embarking on that project myself. Wow. Just for personal funsies. And then... And you blew it. I fucking started a Star Trek podcast instead, and here I am now. <laughs> what if Red Baron Ben had shown up and gone, dude, you are blowing it. <laughs> and you blow it! Billions die because of this choice. <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna be a virus, a game show host is gonna be president. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah, terrible. Ben, our second priority one message is from Sarah A. It is to Adam and Ben for making pod that helped me get through a wild couple years. Here's that message. Dear A and B, I sent you a package of Japanese candy ages ago. I remember that package. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. My life has basically completely changed since, and I figured I'd send you some scarves. I'm now a former mill spouse, moved back here from Georgia, Found a great boyfriend, got accepted to grad school, and just landed a job in my chosen field. Nonprofits. Hey. Thanks for all the good pod vibes. That's awesome, Sarah A. Congratulations. Yeah, good job, Sarah A. I love that you're doing the thing you want to do, and it sounds like you got a cool person to be partners with while you're doing it. I feel like I didn't thank Sarah A. sufficiently for the box of Japanese candy that we got. That was really yeah. a highlight for me. I love Japanese candy. Yeah, they really do it right over there. Thanks to everyone who got a P1 on today's episode. If you'd like to schedule one, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up. 
Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin! Yeah, my Edward Larkin is in the plot of the episode that matters, that part right at the end when uh, Starfleet security people come aboard and arrest the first officer. One of those two red shirts goes back and stands on the transporter pad. And when I notice this guy, they beam him up. He looks directly up into the beam. He totally takes your attention from the scene. I could not not look at him. <laughs> I, I love this guy because I was like, I bet I would do that. At least one time if I lived in a world where there were transporters, I'd be like, what happens if you look at it while it's doing it? He's not the guy with the fucked up hand, which I would have assumed like if he's the fucked up hand guy looking upward like, oh God, get me out of here would make sense. (laughs) But it's the other guy. It's the other guy. Yeah. So he is my Edward Larkin for the episode. How about you, Adam? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? That's a really good pick, Ben. My Edward Larkin is going to be Red Baron Pike though. Wow. Because just- Imagine his circumstance. He's been fighting this Romulo Federation war for years. And looking great doing it. I mean, I mean, yeah. The uniform is crisp and clean. He somehow looks better in every <laughs> uniform he tries on. Anyway, he realizes how awful shit is gone. And of his own volition, goes back to Borath and asks the Klingons, like, should we just settle for this? <laughs> do you think we should do something about past me? Yeah. I mean, it seems like the Klingons are pissed about it too, right? Like they want to yeah. come with Batleths. And they have to feel responsible in some way too. Like, I wonder if there's a version of this episode where we see that interaction where Red yeah. Baron Pike is like, look, man, giving me the crystal vision was really bad for billions of people. And I'm ready to talk myself out of it. If you give me one of these crystals in a little pelican case, I can try to make things right. And they're like, cool, man, do your best. Because if you don't, and then they like draw a little mechleth across their own necks. <laughs> Maybe showing you the future was a mistake. Perhaps instead we should have erased your memory. And that's such a weird position to be in, right? Because if he doesn't fulfill his mission... He never exists Yeah. because past Pike is going to get murdered by crystal Klingons, right? Yeah. Not even going to get into the beeping chair at that point. How does he even get there also? Like, I don't know. Is that a different type of crystal that I guess you can time travel backwards and forwards with the crystals. So he just yeah. picked a backwards crystal. Oh, but if he brought a backwards crystal with him, maybe he brought two crystals One crystal to go back and one crystal to go forwards. There were three distinct shapes in that (laughs) pelican case. So maybe there's a bunch of different crystals in there. Yeah, you really, it's a crystal for all situations, right? Hey, and just before I go, when you touch the crystal to go back, make sure you touch the one on the left. Do not touch the one on the right. He opens up the case and he's like, how is he holding the case when he pointed it out? (laughs) I moved the case around a bunch when Kirk was here. Fuck! God damn it! Fuck! Now I'm never gonna get back! Oh! (laughs) Yeah, where was all that crystal fun? The crystal switcheroo. Wow. Can't wait to uh, see what happens next. We don't even know what's in the future for this show. If we have a couple of weeks off between this series and the next series of Lower Decks, we will uh, definitely have at least 
a couple of fun inter-season episodes. We may take a week off here or there, but uh, expect some new episodes about Lower Decks coming soon and uh, some fun stuff in between if that uh, winds up happening. And with that, I think we're going to throw the pod keys to our producer. Red Baron Windy (laughs) is going to know the future of our show before we ever do. Yeah. Well, next week on The Greatest Discovery, it's going to be a Q&A episode. We received a lot of interesting questions, so thank you to everyone who sent something in and who left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We've got a few other people to say thank you to, starting with Adam Ragusea, who composed all of the original music for this show. He has an incredible podcast and a YouTube cooking channel, and you may really enjoy what he's doing over there, so go check it out. Thanks also to Bill Tilly for being the card daddy and the social media director for Uxbridge Shimoda. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek and use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to talk about the show online. If you are already a member, just want to say thank you for supporting the show. There's a new members-only bonus feed where you can get our monthly Uxbridge Shimoda bonus content all by itself. That's at MaximumFun.org slash DeSoto. Also, this Friday, there is going to be a new bonus episode out covering the Star Trek original series episode that introduced the Gorn. That's called Arena. Look for it in the bonus feed on Friday. And if you're interested in supporting The Greatest Discovery, we would love to have you become a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.